Good morning. We have a reading from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 15. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gifts of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you the living water. Sir, the woman said, You have said nothing to draw. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks the wa this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Thanks, Ivan. Good morning, everybody. Uh, the meaning of life is where the Gospel of John begins. When philosophers talk about the meaning of life, what they're saying is, is does life have significance? Does your life have significance or does my life have significance? They also debate about this. Uh, does your significance change over time? Like, is it the same meaning of life, significance of life, that it is today that it will be 10 years from now or 20 years from now? Or does it change with where you live? Like, is it different because you live in America as opposed to somebody else's meaning that lives in Europe or India or China, on and on? What is it? Is it a moving target? And what the Gospel of John points to is this, is that everybody is equally significant. When philosophers talk about it, they bring this subject up. They say, are some lives more significant than others? Like, are there some people in this world who their significance and their meaning of life is like off the charts or really, really significant, like Nicodemus, like we talked about last week. He would be somebody who'd say, well, really significant. This week, it's the Samaritan woman. They'd say, no significance at all. And they say, is that the way it really is? And the Gospel of John addresses all of this. Very, very deep and very demanding intellectual book. It starts off with the greatest question ever asked before, does life have meaning? Does it have meaning? And it says it has meaning, and it has meaning for every single person, and every single person can be invited into this great grand story, this consistent story that does not change about the rescue of humanity. The reason I wanted to show you this video today is, you know, you, you would look at somebody that is facing that kind of challenge in life with no arms and no legs, and you say, oh, could they have significance? We think about the stuff that we face in our own lives, the setbacks that we face or the frustrations. We think, oh, man, I really got it tough. And then you see, and you say, Ooh, maybe I don't have it so tough. But the Bible says that all people 
have equal significance and equal meaning. Now, this gentleman here, Nick, that is on the video, he has realized, you heard him say it there, he finds his meaning from God. If he found it in this world, if he found it in his life and what he would be given, he would be, he would be dead. He would have committed suicide. But not only did he find his meaning in God, he also has found greater purpose in joining up in God's great story, God's great mission, and that is the rescue of all humanity. This, he, this is what he does. He uses the gift. He has a gift to share, and he uses it. He goes around, and he shares with people, and he's full of life. So this chapter we're studying today, here's the thing that it says. It says, Jesus says to this woman, a woman who has no significance in the world standards, right? She is a Samaritan woman. People viewed Samaritans. When people wanted to insult Jesus, what did they call him? Called him a Samaritan. The worst thing we could possibly call you is a Samaritan. You're a Samaritan. These people, these Samaritans who have turned their backs on God and who are unholy and unacceptable to God, rejected by God, you're a Samaritan. She's a woman. Women were not respected in Jesus' day. It was said that you shouldn't even talk to a woman. Like you shouldn't hold a conversation. You shouldn't teach a woman the Bible. This is the way, that's not what the Bible is saying, but it's what their culture was saying. They would tell husbands were discouraged from speaking to their wives in public. How would you like that? You're talking to your wife in public? No, that's a bad idea. Discouraged. And so when Jesus talks to her, and he teaches her the Bible. She's like, what are you doing? And when his disciples come back and join him because they've gone into town, they're like, what are you doing? How could you be doing this? When we begin this story in John chapter 4, it starts off this way, that Jesus is weary. He's tired. He, he, he's thirsty. He's hungry. And he says he's tired from the journey. He needs to eat. He needs to sleep just like you do sometimes. You need to eat and sleep. You're just worn out from the journey. But somebody else is also very weary in the story. The woman is weary. She's weary from life. She's weary of the fact that everybody views a Samaritan woman as somebody who is perpetually unclean, which means she could never be clean in the eyes of God. She's weary from life. We find out later in the story that she's been married five times. Five times. Well, who wants to go through that? I mean... Isn't once enough? I mean, you're, you're right. And this is, and now the person that you're with, the man that you're with, is not even your husband. I mean, so she has tremendous pain from all. She's worn out from life. She shows up at a well in the middle of the day. You don't go to the well in the middle of the day. You would go to the well in the morning or night with a big group of people. Why doesn't she want to be with a group? She wants to go in the middle of the day because she knows nobody's going to be there. She wants to be all alone. She wants to be all alone. Why? She's hurting. She's worn out on life. Now, here's the thing where it gets really interesting. The story ends with both Jesus and the woman fully energized. Like they're just, they're like the energizer bunnies. They're just, woo! They're just, and yet Jesus has not slept and he's not eaten anything. How is it possible that he's energized on life? The woman. The woman is also energized. She's also full of life though her life situation hasn't changed. Right? She didn't get Prince Charming all of a sudden. Poof, here he is. Now you're going to be... No, no, the life situation didn't change, and yet she's full of life. 
why is that? Jesus asked her in this thing about, he says, I want you to go call your husband. And Elijah says, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, I'm not, wouldn't even do that. At the end of the story, she's so charged up. She runs into town, the very people she didn't want to hang out with. She didn't want to be around. That's why she's at the well all by herself. She runs into town and she says, come everybody, come and meet a man who told me everything that I've ever done. She's fully energized. Why? Because of what Jesus talked to her about. First of all, Jesus has respected her just as she is. Talks to her, respects her, lifts her up. He's not repulsed by the problems, the sin or the shame of her. He's not repulsed by that. He loves her and respects her anyway. And he invites her right at the beginning of this story to participate in the great story of life, the story to end all stories, the salvation and the rescue of humanity. And what he's saying to us here is if we really want to live, if we really want to live, we've got to know that our purpose and our meaning starts with God. Step number two, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which we talked about last week. And then step number three, today with joining and participating in the great mission in life, and that is the salvation of humanity. And so we ask her the very first words that he says in John chapter 4. He says, will you serve me? Everything in John is symbolic. He's saying, will you participate in this mission? Here's the question for us. Will you participate in that mission? And we can say, I can approach life this way. I can say, you know what? I'm just going to, God, help me to figure out what I want to do with life. Or I can ask myself questions or I can read a book. What should I do with life? So that, you know, life can really be full and great and awesome. I can approach it that way. That's fine. Probably many of us do. I've done that before. Or we could approach it this way over here. We could say, God, show me what you're doing in this world. And I want to jump on board that ship. That's what John chapter 4 is about. If you would like to enjoy a river of living water bursting forth in your soul so that you feel so full on life. Jump on board Jesus' mission. Ephesians chapter 1 says this. I have it there on your outline, your, your blue brochure on the back. It says this. It is in Christ that we find out, number one, who we are, number two, what we are living for. He is the Logos, and that's in Christ. I don't find it by saying, you know what, I want to find out what I want to do, God, show me what I want to do. No, we find out by saying, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I want to be a part of that. So what are you living for? This chapter has, it just repeatedly talks about worship. Worship, 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 worship. What is the word worship? It's worth, value. It's worth, what are you attaching worth to? How much worth do you put to God and how much worth do you put towards his great mission in this world? Like, oh, yeah, it's cool. God is great. You know, his mission is good. But, you know, so is my dreams and my wants and my wishes and things I want to do and the things of this world, right? Well, where does it rank in that scale? Right? Is, it, is God's mission, the great story of life, the rescue of humanity, is that worth a million bucks to you or is it worth a buck fifty? And we have to figure that out. And he's calling us, I want you to participate. And if you participate in that, just like the guy on the video Nick is doing, like Jesus is doing, like the woman at the well is doing, you can go from being completely empty and worn out on life to being totally full and have like a spring of living water just welling up within you. So uh, consider writing this down in your outline. It's the first fill-in. If you want to come alive, you have to take the dive. 
You've got to dive in. You've got to dive into the mission of God. You can't hold back. You have to dive into this mission that is laid out before us. And so Jesus says to her, will you serve me? Will you be a part of this mission? And it's the same thing that God is putting before each one of us today. Will we serve his mission? If we continue, and this is all over the place in the Bible, if we continue to be consumed with just serving our own mission in life, we come up empty. But if we serve, the, the less we serve ourselves and the more we serve God, the more we live is the message of the gospel. And so the invitation is here. And he said, there's a river, and the river is flowing. And the only way to jump into that river is to dive straight into this great mission, this greatest story that we see of all time. Now, let me say one thing. It's very, very important here. This is critically important. You can't just dive into this river at any point that you want to dive into it. There's like only one entrance point, and this is what Jesus brings out. And this is, this is where it becomes so very important. You have to dive in at the right place you don't dive into this story and you call it whatever you want you call it evangelism you can call it giving your testimony you can call it serving in in, in the church you know i'm, I'm going to be on a volunteer team or i'm going to tell people i'm going to pray for people whatever you want to call this you can't dive into it because you feel guilty you can't dive into it because a guy like me pastor up here standing on a platform says you need to do this and puts pressure on you they're all in. You can't dive into it because you feel like, okay, you know, I'm going to be a good person if I do this. All of those ways into this great river of life are invalid. It's like you diving into a swimming pool that has no water into it, water in it. It just doesn't work out very well for the diver, right? You have to dive in to this pool through one gate. And this is what Jesus emphasizes here. So write this second one down, all right? Only dive if your spirit is alive. Only dive into this pool if your spirit is alive. So Jesus goes on in this story, and he tells her, he says, look, I am looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit, in spirit. How does that happen? You have to worship in spirit and in truth. Let's talk about the truth thing for a second because we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about in spirit. What does that mean? What's he saying in truth? The reason he says that to her is the Samaritan people had gotten rid of the entire Bible except for the first five books of the Bible. It's called the Pentateuch. And that's all they believed in was the Pentateuch. And there's got to be some symbolism because the Bible is so rich of symbolism and the fact that she's had five husbands and they only believe in the five books of the Bible. But I don't know what it is. We'll get to that maybe in a couple years from now. But she didn't have and the samaritan people did not have the full revelation and so he's saying you don't have all the truth you need all the truth you study all the truth so you have to do it in truth all right but let's talk about what it means to be in spirit we talked about this last week the only way to be in the spirit is to embrace the gospel of jesus christ and that is through no effort of my own it has to be all god now what are we all about we're all about our own human effort and doing things on our own terms in our own ways. And Jesus makes, well, God makes this point really clear in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 2.13, God says to his people, my people have committed two sins. Now, here's the two sins you've committed. Number one, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. 
Okay? So they said they were going to be their own source. They were going to do it themselves, right? They faced, and number two, they've dug their own cisterns, their own wells. I'm going to figure out how to live on my own. I'm going to, you know, by my own effort, and my own terms, I'm going to really find life. They've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, and they can't even hold any water. I have seen this with my children. And for those of you who have either been around kids a lot or you have your own kids, whatever, maybe you've seen the same thing. But I'm telling you, my kids, nobody taught them to do this. They just did it on their own, right? I would go to them when they were real little, actually still to this day, but uh, I was, they would try to do, I said, can I help you? And they would strongly, demonstrably say, no, I will do it myself. Why would they do that? Who taught them to react? Did their mother teach them to react? that way was how did that if i ever spoke to her in public right don't talk to your wife in public if i spoke to her i guess they stopped teaching them to do that right so what where did that come from because we have such a strong inclination in our nature that no on my own terms in my own way i will do this thing and this is what's being spoken of here now here's here's the thing as we grapple as we try to grasp this idea between gospel between gospel and this world i think that we need to realize this there are two very important realities all through the bible and you see them show up big time in the gospel of john so let's just begin to move into this because we have to grasp this to understand how we can be full of life there are two realities ready number one is a physical reality there's a physical reality and there is a spiritual reality And both of those realities in the Bible and in the Gospel of John particularly are going on simultaneously and they're very, very different. We have to understand this. So for those of you, and I know many have come and talked to me, I'm trying to get, and I'm trying to get it too, trying to get it too. We won't be able to get this idea of what Jesus Christ is bringing across, that Jesus Christ is not about religion. He's about gospel, and gospel is completely opposite of religion. We won't get it until we get this, this understanding that there's a spiritual reality and there's a physical reality. Now, what's, what, what's the deal with the physical reality? Here's the thing with physical reality. Physical reality is all about human effort, right? It is, and that's cool, and that's great, and it's needed, We'll make a fantastic case for that in just, in just seconds here because it won't take us long to do this. Right? I have to earn my grades. I have to earn them. I don't show up at the end of the semester and say to the professor, okay, I'm here, give me an A. Right? I didn't take a test. I didn't study. I didn't read a book. I was never in a class. Right? You earn it. I have to earn my pay. I don't show up at work on the 15th and the 30th and say, okay, give me my pay. Was, well, we, haven't, we have never even seen you. I, but, you know, but here I am. Give it to me. No, I have to earn. I have to earn my promotion. I have to earn my trust. I have to earn my trust. Somebody wants you to trust them, and you don't know who they are, or or they've blown their word to you over and over again constantly. I mean, are you going to trust them? No, they have to earn it. They have to earn it, and that is appropriate, and it's right in this physical world. There is effort. There must be strong human effort. All right. There's also consequences. There's consequences in the physical world, and that's right, and it's good, and it's true that there needs to be consequences, right? If I drive down the street, 
a 25-mile-an-hour speed zone. I'm going 100 miles an hour. I sure hope a police officer stops me and throws me in jail for reckless driving. And when they do, everybody should say, good, because if you keep doing this, you're going to kill somebody. There's consequences, right? If you find me one day out back behind this auditorium beating the daylights out of a Dallas Cowboys fan, you, you should probably say, maybe that wasn't the best thing to do, right? There should be consequences because consequences are good and right in this physical world. Am I making sense? There has to be. There has to be. All right. Now, let's take a look at this. Isaiah 55. What in the world is going on in Isaiah 55? Because this isn't the physical world here. Because it, it, just come all, you who are thirsty, come to the waters, you who have no money. All right, I don't have any money. What am I going to do? I'm going to buy and eat. When's the last time you bought something without money? What did you do? Buy it on your smile? I, try to do that today. Go to a restaurant, walk in and say, you know what? I want the most expensive thing on the menu, you know? Give me, he says, he says later, come and buy wine and milk. You know what? I'll take your best wine and a, and a gallon of milk. All right. Restaurant day. I don't have any money, but bring it. Let's go. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. Buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why are you spending money on what not, what, what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And then he says this, listen, 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 listen to me. And eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the richest fare. Give ear and come to me and hear me, that your soul may live. This is a spiritual reality being spoken of here. Totally different from a physical reality. The spiritual reality is a place where there's gospel and there's grace and there's salvation and the river of living water. It's a place where my soul can burst forth with life. But it's not the physical reality. We put no confidence whatsoever in the spiritual reality, in my human effort. It says there should be no confidence whatsoever in my effort and the spirituality. But there has to be tremendous confidence in the physical. Okay, you get on a plane and you walk by the cockpit and the pilot's in there and you're like, hey, how you doing? And he turns around and says, hey, how you doing? I just want you to know I have absolutely no confidence that I can fly this plane. Have a good trip. You staying on the plane? How about you getting ready to have brain surgery? And the last thing that the surgeon says before he puts the little thing on him, he, he says, I just want you to know, I have no confidence that I can perform this surgery. Good luck. Boom. Get me out of there. Because what we need and what we should get in this world is somebody who's given maximum effort. Look, man, if somebody's doing brain surgery on me, maximum effort. You know, if they come in and say, hey, look, man, it's all grace. It's all grace. You know, God's good. It's all grace. I'm like, forget you, man. I, I'm not interested in you. Take your grace somewhere else. I'm, I don't care less about grace right now. I need effort. That's the physical world. And these things, the duality of this situation, until we can understand that they are working simultaneously and that my salvation and the river of life and all of this begins to flow, right? All it begins to flow because of a spiritual reality and that's different from a physical reality. So I should, I, I, I should respect the Ten Commandments. Although in a spiritual reality, it has nothing to do with my salvation. We have to grasp that. We have to grab Philippians chapter 3. It's not on your outlines. I just want to read it to you. Listen to what it says. Talking all about this subject. We who worship by the Spirit of God. Remember what Jesus says? You worship in spirit and truth. That's how you have a river just welling up with you. Man, you're like full of life. 
Life is so awesome. Life is so awesome because I'm worshiping in spirit. It says, we who worship by the spirit of God rely on what Christ has done. No human effort, all Christ's effort. And then goes on to say this. And we put no confidence in human effort whatsoever. That's a spiritual reality, not a physical reality. These two things are completely different. We have to grasp that, that our salvation and the river of life is built on, number one, a spiritual reality, that I accept the fact that it's no human effort whatsoever on my part. It's not because of human performance that I'd be good, that I've studied hard, that I've tried to be holy, that my salvation is based here. It begins here. The river of life begins here in a spiritual reality. And then I come over here. Then after I've done that, after I've had the river of life, the spirit of God, Nicodemus, I've been born again. I come over here to this physical reality. And now I am humbled by that. And I give maximum effort to be the best brain surgeon or pilot I could possibly be, right? That's when I do that. And I do my best to respect God's laws, but it's only after, it's only after I have understood this spiritual reality that I can begin to do that. Because what happens, everybody, is if we're jumping into this party, if we're jumping into this greatest story ever told, and we're not jumping in through the gospel, we're getting nowhere. We're actually frustrated, and we're not being full of the river of life. This is what's being talked about. Now, this is all over the place. If you'll, if you'll take the time to read through John chapter 4, you'll see the two realities going all over the place, right? Can I give you some highlights? But I'd love for you after today, go home and just read and say, let me see where these two realities are going on. So it begins, John. the first thing it tells us right off the bat, why does it lead off this way? It says, um, Jesus' disciples were baptizing more people than John's disciples, so Jesus decides to go away. And then it tells us this, this very important thing. It says, but you know, I just want you to know, the writer of John said, Jesus didn't baptize anybody. Why? I mean, why are you going to tell us that? Why are you going to tell us that? Because it's saying Jesus... Jesus is focused, his, all of his effort is in the spiritual reality, spiritual water, not physical water. He let his disciples do the physical water, right? That's what he did. Later on, we see Jesus, he, he says, you should have asked me for water to the woman. And she's like, you don't even have, you don't have a rope, you can't get anything down. How can you get it? He says, no, I've got water for you. Well, how do you have water for me? You're standing here. With nothing but, you know, you got nothing. It's a spiritual reality. I have water in a spiritual reality. We get to the end of the story and his disciples come back from town. Remember, Jesus starts the story weary. He's tired and he's hungry. He's tired and he's hungry. And he comes back and he's full of life. And they said, well, uh, eat something. And he says, I have meat to eat that you do not know of. Where did he, where did that food come from? It's because he's talking about a spiritual food that he ate. You'll pick that up, this duality, the two realities, physical and spiritual. And until we understand that and embrace that, we can't really experience a river of life flowing through us. Now, there is this great scripture in Zechariah that has so much to do with John chapter 4. So just brief, brief history. The Samaritan people were from the northern kingdom. They were the northern kingdom of Israel, and um, Jerusalem is down in the south. 
And they were told you shouldn't intermarry with the other nations around you. And the whole reason it wasn't a prejudice thing was all about because they're going to blend in their thoughts about God and all of their practices, and it's wrong, and that's why you should stay away. Well, they ignored it. They did their own thing. They said, ooh, man, these women look good, and so we're going to marry them. And so that's exactly what they did. Now, what happened as a result of that is they started blending all of these spiritual practices together. And some of them were pretty brutal and bizarre. Like ritual prostitution, like you worship God through... There's, you worship God through sacrificing your children. Like, let's, let's go worship God today. Let's sacrifice our firstborn... You know, they would do that. They would do that. It was brutal and it led them away. And they had this blended whole idea of God and things got mixed up. And then they got overthrown by another nation and... Then hundreds of years later, and so what's happening during that, all the people from the south are like just looking down on them. They're Samaritans. That's where it came, a tremendous insult. Well, eventually, the southern kingdom in Jerusalem, the temple gets destroyed. They go into captivity with the Babylonians. Then they go into the Persian captivity, and there was a king came along, King Cyrus, and he says, look, go back. I'm going to let you build, rebuild your temple. So in Ezra chapter 4, in Ezra chapter 4, we see them rebuilding the temple. And as they do, this is the people from the south. This is the Jewish people, not the Samaritan people. It's the Jewish people. They're there, and all of a sudden the Samaritans show up, and they say, hey, brothers, we worship God too. We have forsaken our ways. We understood the error of our ways. We worship God too. Let us join with you and build this temple. And you know what they said to them? They said, get out. They rejected them. They said, you have no part in the building of this temple. You have no part with God. Tremendous pain. Terrible, painful moment. And they left. And what they did is they went and they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And what they had was two dueling temples. So if you're reading John 4 and you wonder, what in the world is this going on about? Where should we worship? That's what's going on. It's like, you know, only, it was kind of like little children, you know. God is only at our temple here and he's not at your space over there. And back and forth. It was it's just kind of a goofy thing that was going on. Now, at that same time, Zechariah chapter 4 was written. And look what it says. It says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And this is a famous, famous verse in the Old Testament. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's a spirituality. It's all about grace. Because, look, you go tomorrow morning. Well, tomorrow is a holiday. But uh, you go Tuesday back to work. And your boss can say, where's that report? And you can say, hey, boss, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I don't have the report for you. It's all about grace. It's all about grace, right? And he said, you're fired. Take that grace, right? Enjoy it all week long just to soak that up, okay, right? Because it doesn't work because you've got to understand the difference between the physical and the spiritual reality. And so God is trying to get a message across to them right here. He's trying to get a message. Look, it's not by your human effort that you're going to build this temple, he even says it. He said, this temple is going to be built with shouts of grace, grace. Mountains will be thrown into the sea with shouts of grace, not human effort. It all begins there. This woman, everybody, let me just end it by saying this. This woman has great pain and she has great shame. Jesus doesn't ignore that but he's not repulsed by her in that, and he doesn't condemn her in that. In a physical reality, sin is everything, right? It, it, it is everything. If I don't live up to my word to my wife, you know, there's going to be a problem. 
period. Right? Sin is everything. Performance is everything. Effort is everything. Right? I hope you're catching the drift. Right? Whatever I'm trying to say. Over here, in the spiritual reality, sin is nothing. That's why it says in Romans, where sin greatly abounds, grace even more abounds. Where sin increases, grace increases even more. You know why? You know why? You know why? Because it doesn't matter if you sin one time in your life or you sin 10 million times in your life. It doesn't matter if you do what we consider little tiny sins or you do these big whopper sins. It really doesn't matter. You know why? Because Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ covers all of our sins. So when the Father looks at us, when a holy God looks at us, all he sees is Jesus Christ. That's the spiritual reality. And when we accept that substitution, it's when the river of life flows in us. Well, uh, Ryan Bracken right here had a great story this past week. I don't know if you're a big man. Uh, yes, it was. And uh, I just think this, it's very important to understand. Ryan and I are in Bible study together. It's really important for us to understand this really critical point about gospel and how God just wraps his arms around us right, right in our stuff. And so take it away. I'm Ryan, and uh, if there's one thing in everyday life, you know, our normal life experiences that I absolutely cannot stand, it's puke. Uh, Liz and I also have uh, an 11-month-old son, and that's, uh, we get new experiences pretty frequently. And on Wednesday, we had a, uh, a really unusual for me experience, and that was, I was sleeping in, work schedule had changed a little bit, so I was still sleeping, and uh, I woke to Liz in Matthew's room saying my name, Ryan, and I dashed in there in my boxers, a little more information you need. The, uh, but I dashed in there, and I see our son standing on the side of the crib, and he's got blotches of what, as I get closer, I can tell his vomit all over the front of him. It's dried onto his, his face and his nose and his hair, and there's, you know, there's some on the sheets, and I find out there's some on the floor because my right foot is, is standing in it. And in that moment, I didn't think twice. As, as rough as that was, I snatched that kid up and I held him. And I felt his slimy little hands around my neck. And it wasn't until much later that day, I was talking with, with John and small group. And um, I realized how much more able Jesus is able to, uh, to pick me up out of the messes I've made and I'm covered with in my life. Here's the point. God, right in the midst, it's the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of the woman at the well. We think that God is going to be repulsed by whatever we've done, whatever that shame is. He's going to be, and he's not. Instead, he runs to us. He runs to us, and he covers us. He wraps his arm around, wraps his arms around us. In a few moments during communion, we're going to sing that to God covers us. That's the gospel. God covers us. He covers us. Now listen, I'm only trying to get one point across here today from John chapter 4. We have to participate in this great grand story of life, the greatest story of all, 
the rescue of people, salvation. We've got to want to be about that. It can't be a, a it's got to be the main dish. It can't be some little side effort. I mean, we need, we, our prayers for people to come into a relationship with Christ, our efforts for people to come and run, it's so important. It's what it's all about. It's what church is all about. It is what church is about. Church is not about us feeling good. Church is about us being a part of a mission. A church is not meant to be an institution. It's meant to be a mission, a mission for the salvation of all humanity. But what I'm telling you is this. If you enter that party, that great mission, through any other door than the gospel of Christ, you're just not there. I'm going to conclude with a story. Uh, years ago, I worked at a church, almost 20 years ago, while I was in seminary. I worked at a church, and they had this big thing there. That was this, it was called, anybody heard of Kiwanis Club? The Kiwanis Club? The, the Kiwanis Club did this massive thing at church. It was called a travel log. And uh, people would come to watch these movies that people would make from all over the world, and they had, the person who would make the movie would tell all about it. And uh, so the, the, I guess the age range for people coming was like 60 to 100 years of age. So, but... People were so excited. I mean, they would flock in. And when I, was, when I joined the staff of this church, the first thing was, one of the first things they told me about was the Kiwanis travel log, and you have to serve it. It happens six times a year, and it's crazy, and we're going to put you out in the street because I had to direct traffic. And people would just come in, and they, they were so excited about getting into that movie. I remember one, I had a lady, she was probably 85 years old, came in in a big Cadillac one night. And we had these big poles, and you had to drive around. I'm directing around the pole. Man, she just just all the way along, the whole side of the Cadillac just ripped, didn't bother one bit. She wanted to get into the movie. I'm, I'm t they had special hot chocolate, and they made cinnamon rolls and special cookies. People, what I'm trying to say in a few seconds, were excited about this party. Does that make sense? Get me in to the party. So one night, a man, 85, maybe 90, he was up there, old boy was coming, and he had what I figured was his wife right on, I mean, she was just trying to keep up with him. Like, he doesn't talk to her in public, but he was trying to keep, right? They're going to get, in, get into the party. They've got to get to the party, and I saw him coming. I saw him coming. So we had an elevator here at this church. And I said, hey, come. Uh, you're in a hurry. Come right in here. And we take the elevator. And he's like, get out of my way. You know, just, he just wanted to get to the hot chocolate and to the movie, right? Everything is about that. And I said, make sure. And I'm trying to tell him what number to push on the elevator door, right? I mean, on the, for the floor, right? And he's sudden in a hurry. Just get out. I know where I'm going. He, we pushed the wrong number. Instead of going to floor three, he went to floor one. Well, you know what floor one is? Floor one was the basement. Like there's no windows, there's no lights, there's nothing down there. It's a trash room. And when you get off the elevator on floor number one, the door immediately closes behind you and you're just stuck. And that's what he did. Now, I didn't know that. But I was standing out in the middle of the street, and about 20 minutes later, I saw him walking up through this gas. We had a gas station in the basement of the church. I know it sounds crazy, but he was coming out of the gas station. I'm thinking, what are you doing? And I went up to him, and I said, what, what happened? He said, I got stuck in a dark room. And then it hit me. I said, the woman, your wife, that was with you, he says, ah. <laughs> I said, well, wait a minute, what do you mean, ah, where is she? He says, I don't know, I've got to get to the movie. So he's running, he had left her. He had left her down in there. Now listen, I'm going to tell you the whole story. That whole, I tell you the whole story for one thing. Look, if you want to join in this party, right, he wanted to get to the party, you want to join in the party where there's this river of life flowing, you've you got to press the right floor. And the floor is to understanding to come in through the gospel. Because if you do it any other way, you're entering a dark room. You've got to come in through this way. All right, so those are helping us serve communion. are coming, and the music team is coming, and uh, I'm going to explain to you how we do communion. So you're going to see five different stations throughout this room, and you can come, and there'll be bread, and there'll be a cup there. Everybody is welcome here at Grace to take communion. 
Every single person is welcome. This is between you and God. You'll take a piece of bread, you'll dip it in the cup, you'll step aside, and you, you will consume it. We don't, we don't drink from the cup. We don't drink from the cup. We just dip it into the cup, step aside, and go back. Now, here's what I would love for you to do as you're thinking about communion today. Jesus Christ, communion is all about Jesus Christ's sacrifice and substitution for us. He did what we could not do. I think it would be great as all of us spent a few moments here in quiet before Christ today because of his great sacrifice and substitution and think about are we fully participating in his great mission in this world because that's the only way to have a river of life flowing through us. Are we participating in that? Do we want to participate? Is that a value for us? Is that a priority for us? Because we're not going to find a river of life any other place than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much uh, for your word. I thank you, God, for the guidance of your word, the direction of your word. Jesus, I thank you that you say we can have a river of life, though that's so hard for us to come by. Help us, Lord, to do it your way, to value the things that you value so that we can really, not to build our own wells that never hold water, but God, to do things your way, to go through you, the source. Now, Lord, bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. Jesus, we are forever grateful that you did for us what we could not do. In Jesus' name, amen.